0: Psalm 121, if you will, Psalm 121 and we'll read just um, just verse 2. Actually, I can read verses one and two will probably be cleaner. Uh, let's go ahead and read Psalm verses one and 2 of Psalm 121 and then we will uh, we'll pray again if it's okay and then we'll get started. In Psalm 121, verse 1. Uh, it's written, I I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, I love and adore You. I thank You, Father God, for the opportunity to come and to share just a few moments, Father God. I pray, God, of of an encouraging word to this church, Father. God, my heart's so heavy right now, Father God. I I thank you so much, Father, for all the assurances of salvation, Father God. I thank you, Father God, for the assurances of the power of prayer, Father. And I just, God, I, I lift up Miss Wilsey's family, Father God. God, she is a she's a dear, sainted lady, Father God, who I have utter confidence, Lord, is in your presence right now, enjoying the the depths of the beauty of the of the glory of the Lord Father God and I'm thankful for that but Father God I lift up her family Father I ask lift up Glenda especially Father God so precious to us here Father God is Miss Glenda Lord and uh her ministry to us Lord she is so um she's been so loving to me and mine Father God and uh, I know, Lord, she's one of many people, Lord, in this church that without them we would not have made it as far as we have, Father, that you've used them as ministering angels. So, Father, got to pray for them now, Father God. I pray for, for that family, Lord. I know, Lord, that you have, uh, that we'll see is held wonderfully in your grip right now, Father God, and that she will never, Lord, experience any of the sorrows or the sicknesses or the frustrations of this world, Father. I thank you for that. But I ask you, Father God, that you would bless her family, Lord, with that type of surpassing peace, Lord, that only you can give to those who've lost. Lord, we thank you. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen. Um, um I would say that um, as we just kind of as we get started, y'all please do lift up uh Glenda and uh, that family. Um I'm uh it's In 13 years, I've had a lot of funerals. I mean, a lot of funerals. Um, I don't remember being any more affected by any funeral in my lifetime as I am by this one, to be honest with you. Um, for, for Wilsie's just somebody special. Okay? Okay. Um, I, I think it's I, I, I prayed this and I don't want to be to repeat myself in that way. Um, it would be shameful to do that, but, but we'll, see. we'll see had that ability that I guess it comes folks from being, from being really old. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's an alternative. right? Make your choice. <laughs> um, I myself am closer than when I got here. Day by day, closer. Huh? Beverly said she, you know, she was close to God, you know She asked the Lord, she's ready to go to Him. Uh-huh. And she died the same evening. Amen. Um... The thing Willsie was a magician of doing was, I guess it comes from having lived such a very long time and having seen so much heartache, do you understand what I mean? That she could very, very sweetly help you put your problems in perspective without being arrogant about it. Because a lot of people can can tell you, oh, there are people suffering worse than you. And there are. But that doesn't help you very much, does it? You still hurt. She could make you feel that other side of that, which is things are going to be better. You're going to survive this. It's not going to kill you. Because I tell you, whether it's a family in bereavement, or and y'all... Excuse me, that that back door is standing wide open. Somebody could get that back door for me. Thank you, Brother Buddy, so much. Um, There wouldn't be a mosquito, but this is Mississippi, and there's probably 5,000 mosquitoes waiting outside that door. You know, because they never die in Mississippi. Um, Just speaking as a pastor who's seen lean times, right? Very lean times. It was people like Wilsie. not just I mean, I was loved on, but there's a difference between loving on and and crying with you and somebody patting you on the knee and saying, you know, this is going to get better. You're not going to have to worry about this. Because there are times when you face some things and you think you might not. Everybody in this room has been there. Well, you said to yourself, you know, Lord, this might be the thing that kills me. This might be it. And she had that wonderful way of doing that. And I think it was just magic. It's it's like having an extra grandma, folks. And nobody's better than grandma. Yes, ma'am. I don't know if everybody knows, but to me, her life is sort of like a love story. It is. Because, you know, she was going with this guy that got off to the army. Yes. And she married this other guy, and then years later, they get back together. (laughs) It's really necessary. So sweet. It really is. And how can I say it? Mama Jen, the world's not sweet anymore. The world's harsh and hard and real, and it really is. The world's not sweet like that. We don't, you don't hear stories like that anymore. We just don't have it. There's a generation of folks that lived it, and I think it's because behind them was also a whole lot of... I, I mention my grandmother all the time, uh, Lila Mae, who's, who's 99. Right? 99. And, um, you know, we I, I don't say this anyway because my mom's not listening, so it won't matter. Um, my, mom's, my mom's funeral will be a small affair one of these days because everybody she is ever friends with is gone. Virginia, your sisters. Two of your sisters were dear friends of Lila May. And they're gone. They made—they made, did. You're right. Made it to 90, both of them. And here's Lila May still chugging along. But when she's gone, you know, like I said, it's never dialed a cell phone, never owned a cell phone as a where, never turned a computer on in her life. But from a totally different generation that both that Miss Beverly both suffered greatly, children of the depression. Who could boy could they manage money? All died with money in the bank. Never had a job. They paid very much, but they died with money in the bank. How does that happen? Mm-hmm. There are people in this room who will make more as a couple this year than they made in a decade, <laughs> and they got money. My mom was an LPN. Never made it. Beverly never made enough money to worry about. My first check was three hundred dollars a month. Three hundred dollars a month. A <laughs> uh, daddy used to talk about with Lila Mae was peas and cornbread. And what he meant was, you ate peas and cornbread every night. You might get chicken on Sunday, but you didn't get meat every night. You got peas and cornbread. Just a different... And I, I don't want to wax poetic about it, but the reality is, there's so there's such a difference in... Um, there, there are plenty of people in this room, not plenty, but several people in this room who are old enough to be my parent. All right? but even though you're old enough to be my parent there's a real difference between y'all and that generation isn't there cuz this is the generation of your parents right just totally different totally different and it needs to be celebrated cuz we're about to run out of them they're almost all gone from that generation and so I did want you all to know how I felt about this and pray for me because like I said I I was I can't remember being affected anymore by this. And I've had family funerals, I'll be honest with you, that didn't affect me any more than this has. It's not just love, it's that deep sense of respect. Do you understand? Because a lot of people I love, they're probably not enough people that I love and respect with the same fervor. Okay? With the same fervor, let's 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 study now. Um, and please forgive me for that for that brief interlude, but we'll we'll get to where we need to be. Look, um, help comes ultimately and singularly from the Lord, and Christ is both ready and willing to influence your life and to empower your work. I think if there's one theme today, that's the theme of the day. Is not just that we have a God we pray to, not just that in times of cry you know, times of tragedy and sorrow or or times like this that we can cry out to our Lord, but that we have a God who if, if we believe not just what the scriptures teach, but believe what the scriptures teach and what great men and women of God, of especially men of God at this time, have have believed. That we have a God that that seems to be always poised and ready to help us. Now, I guess this is the way I think of it. Um, as a, I always compare things to being a parent because we're parents, right? We get it. We get this. Um, we'll say, and 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 there probably comes a time, parents older than me, where as a friend of mine or I used to teach with used to say that he wants he wanted to get his kids sons out of his pocket a little bit. If you know what I mean by that, everybody's experienced that one, right? Um, including myself okay, Um, out of the pocket a little bit at the same time I am still this way that with most things if they didn't ask me to help them Kimberly I would be a little insulted a little insulted nobody likes the feeling of uselessness do we sitting right here I want to help Alright, I'm, I'm your dad. I, I want to help you. I don't want you that independent. I just want you a manageable amount of independent, right? I still need you to need me. Okay? And I think that, of course, he's heavenly and he's perfect and he's not subject to my vanities and my foibles and all my problems. But the reality is this. I, I believe firmly that we have an eternal and everlasting God who is, who is injured when we believe we don't need Him. Who is injured when we don't turn to Him first. Who is not honored by my independence, but craves my dependence. Wants me to need Him in every situation. Wants me to turn to Him first. And I'll tell you, just as we elaborate, just just quickly... I knew the depth of the problem of sin in the life of a person from Tony, from this individual right here. Because I came to the realization that in most of my problems, I would think of my sin first and not of the power of God. Now, I, I, look, I'm not picking on anybody's sin. Let me just take one, just one right here. How often in my life have I thought my temper could solve a problem? How often? All the time. Gosh, all the time. So instead of turning to my God, what did I do? I got angry. Frustrated. I got aggressive. Miss Jane I got aggressive. Solved nothing. Did nothing. That for the believer, for the submitted, surrendered believer, I turned to God for everything. Actually, no matter how bad it is. And no matter how minor it is, turn to God with it. Now, more often than not, I'm in my flesh about things. I apologize. But that's, that's, it's not that I think it's right. It's that I know how wrong it is and I know the limitations, Lucas, of my flesh. I know them. But comparing that to what we've just been talking about, I've got a God ready and willing to help. I mean, Dolores, even the little things I think I ought to be able to handle myself, Right? He doesn't want me to handle myself. He wants me so dependent that I turn to Him for everything. Look, look what else we I just have to say. The great reformer, Martin Luther, wrote this. He said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of His willingness. We have a God who is so willing to help us. Look, seeing God is bashful toward our needs or unwilling to help in time of trouble, is a delusion which emanates from Satan himself. I believe that firmly. The idea I'm, I'm, I'm stating here is this, is that God takes that, that very honest desire in men and women to make it on their own, under their own steam, their own power, and He uses that against us that we become more and more and more independent to the point that he becomes a formality. There's the problem right there. If I've got words that that summarize, that's what I'm trying to say, is that our God who's an eternal, everlasting, all-powerful, infinitely beautiful, glorious and perfect God is never a finality. But our religious practice has become so formalized that we talk about turning to Him, we sing about turning to Him, we sing about His power, and we never actually utilize it. We never turn to it. I talk about it, I preach about it, I say all these things, but then I never I never I never ask him. I, I knew things were needed to change in the church. The, one of the things that always clues me in that we need to change is back when when I especially when I used to have it all by myself, when I would have to do those those the baccalaureate services every year. Do you know what I mean? And you'd have all this kid stuff, and it's all this senior stuff, and we all know who've been seniors. That's all a bunch of malarkey, right? They all say what's well, going to turn out. It never does You know. And even when we even at least my kids, even when we do send them way, way off, more often than not, they come back to Jones. And there's nothing wrong with Jones. Jones is fantastic. But but we talk all these big things, and I used to have to start saying, I said it in the lives of mine, it didn't, didn't stick for any of them. And I said it in the lives of some of yours. Was that maybe what we need to start doing is praying God? What do you want me to do with my life? And not I want to go to Mississippi State. I want to go to I want to go to Ole Miss. I want to go to USM. Why don't we say God? What do you want? What do you want me to go? Because even by that time, what's taken holdness is this extreme independence. That somehow that God somehow this idea that God will validate whatever I want to do. If I want to go there, God's going to say it's okay. If I want to do this, God says it's okay. God's on my side. He's letting me drive. I don't detect a God like that within the pages of scriptures, do do you? I detect a God that seems to want to tell men when to plant the barley. That want to tell men when to do everything with their lives. If He's going to order when we plant, He's going to order everything every brick in our roads, isn't he? Of course he is. I knew we were in trouble, not just with that, but I think it, it courses probably, it continues throughout the rest of our lives and it emanates in this idea that we become more and more distance from, distant from him. Our, our practice becomes more and more formalized and less, in, less intimate, less real seeking, pansy. Less real seeking and more affirmation. God, I'm doing this, I need you to be with me. God, I'm gonna do this that we become the boss. Now, like I said, look, hey, I dealt with a lot of teenagers in my life. Ton of teenagers, surrounded by teenagers my entire life. Not a pretty picture. For a grown man to be 52 at his next birthday and hanging out with teenagers all day long every day. Scary thought. But you know this? It's stubborn and and uh Care and rebellious as they are, they can't touch a 60-year-old man, can they? Because a 60-year-old man is doing exactly what he wants to do. And if a sign comes down, if the finger's right on the wall, he's probably still going to do just what he wants to do. So I don't think, Miss Diane, that, we, that, it, that it happens for high school kids and it gets better. I think it happens for high school kids and it grows and metastasizes and gets worse and worse and worse. I think if we can get the high school kid to surrender, there's hope then for the 20-year-old and the 30 and the 40 and the 50 and the 60 to be surrendered. I think what we teach them is don't. Informally, we teach them don't. Formally, what we need to teach them is do. Do surrender. Do trust God to do Everything because God waits to empower our lives. Waits for it. He can't wait to do it. You know, truth like this must be boldly declared and savagely demonstrated for the desperate of the world to understand the importance of submission to God, which means we've got to say it from the pulpit just like this all the time. Be surrendered to God in everything. Don't hold back. Surrender. Don't surrender 50% or 60%, 100%. The speaker, guilty of not. You too, surrender completely. And not only, Kimberly, do we have to declare it, and we have to preach it hard, every single every message has got to be just coursed through the power of surrendering yourself to the power of the cross, to the power of a God who wants to live through you. But we've also got to go out there in that world and, I mean, savagely demonstrate it. Have people see it in us and hear it in us? Just like those guys, those disciples who've been in the presence of Jesus and people can tell they've been with Jesus. How often do we, can they really tell we've been with Him? Probably, and look at us and say, man, that's, that's, that's a follower of Jesus right over there. And not with me. I don't know about you, not with me. I find it often inconvenient for my purposes to follow the risen Savior. I want to get mad at my kids at school. Joseph, sometimes they're terrible. They're just terrible. And I want to have holy anger. I want to have righteous indignation, holy anger. I used to just manage regular anger, Lucas, the plain old kind, where I don't display the cross in my frustration with them, in their, in their disobedience. I want to display the cross in but the reality is I don't. See, that's total submission. That means that even when I am just fed up with them, my life's still about the cross. Even when you're fed up at work, your life's still about the cross. It doesn't phase back into the old you because you you're just you ticked off and you never know you're ticked off. You don't reserve this little you know, break in case of anger part of you that you let out because, you know what, the only way to really express yourself is that way. We don't do that. It's not the way it works. Display it. Look, consider the interaction of our Lord with a leper. In in Luke five twelve through thirteen, he says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In verse thirteen, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean, if you will. And he said, I will. So, so Jesus' response when presented with opportunity to show His glory in the life of a person was, I will. In fact, maybe better translated, I want to. God's desire at that moment was to save that person. It wasn't a bother. It wasn't a problem or whatever. It was an opportunity for glory and God jealously guards them and aggressively pursues opportunities for For His glory. See, see, when I show off, and I know I do all the time, when I show off, it is a function of my vanity. When God shows off, it is an outpouring of His glory. It is because He is so infinitely wonderful, you cannot restrain that which is infinitely wonderful. It is opportunity for Him to show who He really is. You see, when I show off, I'm showing who I really am. When you show off or show out, you're showing who you really are. As He used to say, you're showing your true colors. Right? When God does it, it's because He is so glorious. It can't be held back. He wants to. Look, the Berean Bible translation says that the man is... Covered with leprosy. When I saw that as I was studying this, I said, my goodness, wow. So God is even more energetic, even more willing, even more desirous of showing off through this when the case is horrible. He wasn't just a little bit of leprosy. He was covered. This man was rotten. He was destroyed by the disease. There was nothing left. The the virginal flesh, the, 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 the healthy flesh was just gone. It didn't make our God fear. He didn't doubt His ability. What did He do? I want to. That's who I'm healing right there. Which means, if you and I are now the hot mess equivalent of covered with leprosy. God is even more excited by your turning to Him. If every facet of your life is a colossal disaster, that is exactly what I already know it's there. Don't mistake my euphemisms for ignorance. But that is exactly what God's looking for. See, if the guy's got one little spot and he goes away, maybe that's an accident. But if he's covered with leprosy and he is made clean, that's a miracle. It's not an accident of science or misdiagnosis. It is nothing more than the work of God right there for everyone to see. God makes lame men walk and He makes blind men see. And he fills the ears of the deaf with music. And he does this all for his glory and as a function of his will and just as an outpouring of his of his beautiful willingness to help us. Many modern English renderings of the scriptures record the response of the Lord as, "I want to." Look, while the literal translation is what we will recommend the statement, I will or I am willing, reveals the sovereignty of God as it's directed toward the healing power of Christ. Christ was there to heal this man. He was there to meet his needs and that's what he did. At the same time, the more obscure modern language captures an essential element of the truth. The heartfelt desire of the Creator God to bless and heal His creation. Now that's something that's that's different. We are sinners, whose deeds and hearts are black and dark. With the blood of Christ poured upon our sins, it was the only balm in Gilead that would save our twisted souls. But at the same time, in the heart of a sovereign God, you have intrinsic value because you are what His creation. He looks down upon your life, and He looks down upon your sorrows, and He looks down upon your sins, and the heart of God breaks. The heart of God has no desire, has draws no pleasure from seeing the destructive impact of sin in you or in me. He has no desire to see that at all. He wants to lash out at it and He wants to drive it from you. As believers in Christ Jesus and active participants in a worldwide evangelistic effort, we cannot waste our lives hoping for the world to deliver us from the effects of the fall or the corrupting influence of mankind. And I think that's what we do more than anything else. We can, we, our, our, our practice of Jesus Christ has become so formulaic and so formal that we, we talk about Jesus and His healing power and yet we don't cry out for Him. We talk about Jesus and His healing power. We talk about Jesus and His ability to save broken to save broken lives and to heal broken hearts. And we talk about all these things. when the reality is we'll think of everything in the world to come fix us. We'll turn to everything in the world. But the power of the Creator God that made the cosmos, as if somehow a doctor or a preacher or something like that is more powerful than Than the one who created those men. It is simply ridiculous. Only God is able to or willing to offer help. Now, you can come pray with me, and I want you to, but I will tell you this much, this much right now to your faces. I can't fix my own problems. I can't solve my own problems. I can't fix my own family. I can't fix my own friends. I can't fix you. I can't fix anybody. I've got no healing power. But the one we pray to collectively has infinite healing power. Will do exactly what He wants. Isn't, isn't afraid of the darkness of your soul. Not at all. Not at all. Only God has the ability to deliver us from our obstacles. Only God does. If there's there's an obstacle in your life today, if there's a problem in your life, if there's a bondage in your life, then today, right now, at this moment, there is but one place to turn. And that is to the beautiful face of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I love and adore You. I thank You so much, Father God. I ask You, please, God, to help us tonight, Father. I pray, God, for Wilsey's family, Father God. I love you, God, so much for bringing them to this church, Father God, and for bringing me so I could, God, enjoy, God, enjoy 13 years with that dear sweet thing. God, I love you so much, God, for all you've done for us. And I pray, God, that this this is a call into my heart that I could value, Father God, these people that I call family more than I do that I could respect them more, that I could love them more, that I could defend them more. Because there's nothing, Father God, nothing at all quite like, uh, Father God, the family of God. Nothing like fitting into it and finding your place in it, Father God. Nothing, God, like, like coming to a place where you know, God, they love you. And they'll accept you as you are. But they'll cry out, Father God, that That we can become who we're supposed to be in you. God, I thank you for those wonderful, dear, praying souls. Who lifted us up. Who lifted my family up, Father God. Who've lifted this church up. And who've never quit, Father. I love you, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.